So our text this morning is going to be these seven verses that we read together, but let me remind you about uh, tonight, Acts 2.42 at 6.30, uh, coming out for a time of worship and waiting on the Lord. And then this Wednesday evening, we are continuing our uh, Through the Bible study, chapter by chapter, and we start this Wednesday evening in 1 John. And... uh, Pastor John Wang is going to be taking us through the study in 1 John, and uh, some of you guys have uh, heard John share. He's uh, filled in on Sunday mornings on occasion, and God's just given him a great gift to communicate, just a real passion about the Word. So this is going to be a great and exciting study through 1 John, so uh, come on out and be part of that with us on Wednesday evening. So, as we come to the 11th chapter, this 11th chapter of Hebrews, this is, you know, it's one of those great chapters of the Bible. You have, um, actually, years and years ago, um, a man by the name of G. Campbell Morgan, uh, he, whether, whether he put the book together or maybe his publishers did, they, they, they did a book called The Great Chapters of the Bible, and, uh, you know, it was Campbell Morgan just looking at each of these uh, chapters, you know, that are just kind of extraordinary. They just sort of stand out maybe among some of the other chapters. And of course, chapter 11 of Hebrews was one of those that he highlighted because it is such a great chapter. It's a chapter that, uh, of course, reminds us of our spiritual ancestors, and it reminds us of uh, their faith uh, back at their time And it's an encouragement, that's the intention, it's an encouragement uh, for us to really follow in their steps. And the only thing that we have to be careful of is to not, uh, you know, kind of wrench it out of its context as sometimes that can happen. You know, sometimes we can get uh, so focused on maybe the 11th chapter of Hebrews, we forget that it's, it's the continuation of a, a thought that the author has been building on. So you remember he's been, um, he's been warning, he's been exhorting, he's uh, calling them to hold fast uh, to their faith in Christ. And in the 38th verse of the 10th chapter, he quotes from uh, the prophet Habakkuk and he quotes this passage, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So he he reminds them, look, the just shall live by faith. All of those who have been just, all of those who have been God's servants throughout all of history have pleased God in the same way And that is the way of faith. Now the just shall live by faith. So coming to chapter 11, he now, first of all, gives us kind of a, a, you know, sort of a definition. It's not any kind of a lengthy definition at all, but he gives us a bit of a definition of faith. And then he talks to us about people who um, exemplified this faith that he's saying that his readers need to have and we would need to have as well. So he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
So kind of a definition. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, or, or it's the confidence that the things that we hope for from God are going to become a, a reality. It's, it's that confidence. And it's the, the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of the things not seen. Of course, God is not seen. God is invisible. He's a spirit. And there, there's a whole spiritual dimension. We can't see it. But through faith, we, uh, that, the, we have that the evidence for it comes to us through faith. We, we believe that these things are true. And so even though we don't physically see them or they're, you know, they're not materially manifested to us, they, uh, we see them through the lens of faith, through the eyes of faith. And he says that this is how the elders obtained a good testimony. So all of those, now remember he's writing to Jews, he's writing to Hebrew believers, so uh, the elders would be those people back in their history and even further. This goes even further back than the history of the nation which began with Abraham. This goes all the way back to um, the children of Adam and Eve, the immediate children of Adam and Eve, uh, Cain and Abel. But then he says, so in verse three, verse three on through verse seven, there's, there's four things he tells us, uh, three people and one event that we, we understand these things by faith. Verse three, by faith we understand that the worlds or uh, the ages, or you could say the universe, by faith we understand that the universe was framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So it's by faith that we understand this. It's by faith that we uh, understand that the, the ages, the, the universe was framed by the word of God. Now, let's just be clear about what faith is and isn't. Faith, when the Bible talks about faith, it's not, it's not blind faith. Blind faith is you know, you're going to believe something that is just completely contrary to all the evidence. The evidence is right before you, but you say, no, 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 I, I don't believe the evidence. No, I, I, I believe it happened this way, and I believe it happened by faith. Now, skeptics, critics of the Christian faith, atheists today, namely people like Richard Dawkins, they think that faith means blind faith. That's their understanding of faith. If you if you are a person of faith, you are a person who doesn't believe in science, you're a person who doesn't take into consideration any of the facts, uh, you, you just believe, you know, in spite of all of the evidence. That's, that's not the faith of the Bible. Uh, the Bible gives us plenty of evidence for what we believe, but it always leaves for us just enough room to where we have to finally, in the end, we have to exercise faith. So it's by faith we understand that the universe was framed by the word of God. It's not, it's not like there's no evidence to support the biblical claim that God created the universe. There's plenty of evidence. Just logically, there's, there's uh, the fact that there's a creation seems to imply there's a creator. The fact that there's very uh, specific design, you can't have specific design unless you have a designer. The fact that there is something indicates that it had to come from someone because the other alternative 
nothing producing everything. That doesn't logically make any sense. But you know, at the end of the day, we need to understand this. At the end of the day, evolutionary theory, naturalism, and all of that is really teaching that nothing resulted in everything. And that doesn't make any sense. To me, it takes a ton more faith to believe that than to believe that an all-powerful God created everything. I mean, that, that doesn't take a whole lot of faith to believe that an all-powerful God, but to believe that nothing created everything. There's nothing, zero, zip, nothing. And that nothing, what does nothing do? As far as I know, nothing, could, nothing does nothing because nothing is nothing. But how does nothing produce everything? That doesn't make any sense. So it's by faith that we understand that the worlds were framed, the universe is framed. But it's not, like I said, it's not, um, it's not illogical at all. It's completely logical. And it really makes sense. But we can't see it. We can't see God. We weren't there in the beginning, so we don't really, uh, you know, we, we can't roll the film back and say, oh, say, yeah, look, this is how it happened. So there's that point where faith comes in. God said that he did it. The evidence, I think, points in that direction. So by faith, we believe that the worlds were framed, the universe was framed by the word of God. So he starts with that, but now he mentions three people. And without going into a whole lot of detail on each of the um, examples that he gives here, his, he's making one point in each case. And I'll just tell you up front what the point is. The point is simply this, that faith leads to action. So for people who have faith, they show their faith by responding to God. So he starts with Abel. By faith, what did Abel do? Well, he offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. So it was by faith that Abel offered a sacrifice. And then he goes to Enoch. What did Enoch do? By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. So it was by faith that Enoch, uh, Enoch was uh, translated or he was miraculously taken. Uh, some people would even uh, call this a rapture, which, you know, it probably could be that. He's uh, maybe even a type of the church Enoch was. But it was through faith. God had evidently spoken to Enoch that if he would walk with him and please him, that God would deliver him from his corrupt generation. And apparently that's what Enoch put his faith in. And God uh, delivered on that promise. And then thirdly, Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, Here's what he did by faith. He moved with godly fear and he prepared an ark for the saving of his household. So you see, each one of them by faith did something. Faith is active. Faith does something. Faith, uh, like James tells us, faith without works is dead. So by faith, we do something. The author is saying to these people that he's writing to, look, this is what they did by faith. Now you, by faith, what he's really telling them is you need to hold on to those promises. You need to continue to trust God despite the circumstances and the challenges and the difficulties. Your faith is gonna show itself in continued trust in Christ and continued obedience to God's word. Now, one thing too, really quickly, kind of a side note, but just to point out here um, notice that the author 
he speaks of Abel, Enoch, and Noah as real people, historical figures. He doesn't think they're myths. He doesn't think they're, you know, just people who are part of, um, you know, legend. He sees them as actual people. He refers to them as actual people. And uh, we should too. That's, that's how we need to understand them. Jesus understood them this way. Jesus believed that Noah was a historical person. Jesus believed that there was actually a flood that covered the whole earth. Jesus used Noah as an illustration. Why do I say that? Because, of course, today people scoff at the idea that um, there was a person, an actual person named Noah who built an ark and the animals came onto it and there was a flood and so forth. People scoff at that. They scoff at that, although every culture in the world has a flood story, regardless of where they are, and there are several other things. You know, you can go up into the Andes or into the Himalayas and you can find uh, marine life all the way up in uh, those mountain ranges indicating what? That at one time, the whole world was underwater. That's what the Bible says. So, but like I said, that's kind of a side note there. The thing that I want to focus on today is verse six. The just shall live by faith. And what does he say in verse six? He says that it's through faith that we please God. Enoch is our immediate example Before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So he pleased God through faith, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. Think about that for a moment. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know, there are many people who are content with following a ritual or embracing a formula or finding uh, a list of do's and don'ts, and that's the extent of their spirituality, that's the extent of their religious life, if you will. There, there's no faith involved in that. It's just, you know, you, you go through the ritual, somebody else usually performs it, but, you know, there you are, at least maybe you're observing it. Or, you know, there, there's some formula, you just adopt this religious formula, or there's this list of rules, you do your best to try to keep it. Um, that's that's kind of what religion is. There's no faith necessary for that sort of thing. You, it's just rote, it's routine, you can just go through it with your eyes closed, you can do it in your sleep, you never even have to think about God. Uh, you know, sometimes when we see very, you know, outwardly religious people, we sometimes think that, wow, man, that person must know God or that person must be so spiritual. Not necessarily. Because the only way to know God, please God, have a real encounter with God is through faith. So you could have all of this external stuff and and have none of that. You know, ironically, there are people in the world who are outwardly religious but inwardly have no faith in God whatsoever. I'll never forget years and years ago in New York City, I was talking to a a rabbinical student, a young guy, and we were sharing the gospel, and he was really antagonistic about it. And um, as we were talking, and I was kind of challenging him, and I kept making references to the Old Testament 
And, you know, particularly Isaiah 53. And I said, look, you know, you're, you're, a, you're, you're becoming a rabbi. You know, you should know this stuff. And, you know, he said to me, he said, you know what? I don't believe any of that. I don't believe any of that stuff. I do this because if I don't go to rabbinical school, my dad will disown me and I will not get the inheritance that, uh, you know, I'm kind of, he was really honest. I mean, he told me, he said, I don't, I don't believe this stuff, but he was all decked out in his um, rabbinical apparel. And he was arguing uh, very intensely against Christ, but in the end, he didn't believe the Jewish scriptures either. He didn't really believe in God. So it's not this outward thing. God is looking for men and women that he can have an intimate, vital, loving, personal relationship with. That's what God is looking for. And the way we come into that is through faith. That's how we come into this relationship. So we come there through faith, through believing the truth that God has revealed in his word about himself and through embracing that ourselves. Now, he says here, in verse six, having said without faith it's impossible to please him, he says that there are two things that are necessary with this faith that pleases God. He says, number one, he who comes to God must believe that he is, and secondly, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, first of all, he who comes to God must believe that he is. Now, some translations uh, actually translate, believe that he is as exist. He who comes to God must believe that he exists. Um, I don't really think that that's what the author had in mind because he's writing to Jews. They don't have any doubt that God exists. They know God exists. They believe in God. Their struggle is in continuing to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. I think what the writer is really talking about here and when he says, he that comes to God must believe that he is, I think that what he's really saying is that we must believe God's self-revelation. We must believe what God has told, him, told us about himself. We must believe uh, that God has done what he has said that he has done. We must believe that God is going to do what he promised that he will do. In other words, he that comes to God must believe that God is now present. He's in the now. He's in the moment. He's still at work at this time. He's not just the God of uh, Abel and Enoch and Noah. And he's not just the God for us of Peter and James and John and Paul. But he's the God of me and of you and of all believers today that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He that comes to God must believe that he is still actively working in the world. He's alive and well, and he's, he's working out his plan and his purpose. You see, it's only the person who believes that who's really going to experience the kind of thing that God intends through faith. So it's this kind of faith, believing that God is, believing that God uh, has a will, believing that he has uh, an objective in history, believing that he is saving people and he's moving history in the direction of the establishing of his kingdom. Like that 
great song that those guys did this morning. Let your kingdom come. I love that song. It's such a, it's such a great picture of, of the reality that's coming. Do we believe that? You know, there's lots of people all around the world who even claim to be Christians. They don't, they don't even necessarily believe that. They don't believe that the world's headed in a certain direction that God declared in his word it would go. And what would you say about people like that? You'd say, well, they, they, they don't have faith that God is. And they might believe that God exists, but that's just a distant sort of a thing. It doesn't have any personal application to them. Oh, yeah, there's, you know, oh, sure, God exists. I mean, they, they might even be theist. You know, they might believe that uh, the, the world itself, you know, testifies to the fact that there is a creator. But as far as that creator wanting to engage with them on a personal level, they don't believe that. Well, if you don't believe that, then you can't please God. You have to believe that he is. You have to believe in who he's presented himself to be, as I said, in what he's done. Who's he presented himself to be? The creator and the redeemer. What has he done? He sent his son into the world to, to die in the place of sinners and to rise again and to destroy death and to give us eternal life. What has he promised to do? Well, ultimately, he's promising to come and to set up that kingdom. But in the meantime, he's desiring to be at work in and through the lives of his people. And you know, it's only the people that believe that God is that are doing anything for the kingdom. It's the people who believe that, no, God is, he's actively working in the world today and he's guiding our lives and we're praying and we're asking him to show us his will and we're asking him to direct us and he's doing those kinds of things. He's opening doors and he's moving us in a direction and he's moving people around uh, from place to place. You know, I was talking to a friend this morning who lives in, um, he lives in the Middle East. He lives in Dubai, actually, and he spent the weekend with me. And, um, you know, we, we were talking about the whole thing that's happening with these refugees. And, you know, something that has been said by many, and I've, I've, I've heard many Christians say it, you know, how disturbing or uh, annoying maybe it is that, uh, you know, places like Saudi Arabia and these other places that could take these refugees in, how many of them are just flat out refusing to do anything like that? Somebody showed me recently the, uh, the picture of um, all of these tents that the Saudi, Saudi Arabian government sets up for the Hajj, which is the, the visit to Mecca, you know, that the people make. And it, they're, they're these air-conditioned tents. There's thousands of them, and they can house up to two million people. And somebody was saying, look, you know, right here, these guys could take these refugees. But you know, my friend who lives amongst all of that, he had such an interesting perspective on it. He said, you know what? He said, yeah, they could take them, but they would never hear the gospel in those places. God is sending them. God is, he, his, his conviction was God is sending them to countries where they will hear the gospel. And receive Christ. And I thought, man, that's a great perspective on it. Because, you know, because God is. Because God is at work. And, and all of these things that are happening in the world today, you know, we're either believing that God is at work 
And this is all part of his eternal plan. And we are to be giving ourselves to him and engaging in that work on, on whatever level he might call us to, or we, or we don't believe it. And if we don't believe it, we don't do anything. And if we don't believe it, in the end, we don't really please God. We can't please him apart from faith. So we must believe that God is, and secondly, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Lord said to, the, he spoke to the nation of Israel and he, and he said, I did not say to the sons of Israel, seek my face in vain. You see, God, when he calls us to seek him, when he calls us to follow him, when he calls us to serve him, it's not in vain. There, there's, an, there's an end there's an objective that he's seeking to accomplish, and there is a blessing for us. There is a reward that will come to us, finally. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And of course, as we go back and we follow the history here, we just looked real briefly at these three. We're going to come to Abraham and to his immediate descendants. We're going to look at Sarah. We're going to look at uh, Isaac and Jacob. And then we're going to come to Moses. And we're going to look at, not just at Moses, but at Joshua and David and uh, you know, other people like that. All of these people are people who lived by faith, and all of them... Uh, diligently sought the Lord, and all of them were rewarded in one way or another. As we're going to see as we go further into the text, some of them received their reward later after they transitioned from this life into the next, but many of them received the reward in this life. But listen, God rewards those who seek him, and the first thing that he rewards us with is really just a greater uh, experience with himself. He, you know, he is really the reward he, he's the reward himself. Now, he might shower blessings upon us and do that, and that's wonderful. But at the end, you know, God himself is the reward because man was created by God and for God. And only as we go deeper into communion with him do we find the fulfillment and the real satisfaction that we're actually longing for. So he himself is the reward, but like I said, he will additionally reward us and Again, going back to the context here, he, he has said to them earlier, he told them about the reward that was coming for them in the future. He's saying, don't, don't let go. Don't give up. Don't draw back. Hang on. There's a reward that's coming. There's a blessing that's coming. And let me just say that to you, that God has given you a promise, and maybe it's been a long time, and it just seems like it's never going to happen, and maybe you're tempted to give up. Don't give up. There's a reward. There will come a time when God will, he will fulfill that promise that he's made to you, and you, you just need to, to persevere. You know, to have faith you know what it really means simply? And you know what he's really pleading with them to do? Keep trusting God. Keep trusting God. Don't give up. And of course, in their case, it was keep trusting God in the sense that you put your faith in the Messiah. Don't draw back from Jesus. That's, that was for them, keep trusting God. But for us, maybe, for you, maybe, maybe it's a different thing. 
maybe you're not, hopefully you're not thinking about walking away from your faith in Jesus. If you are, don't do that. Keep trusting God. Keep believing God. There's a great reward. It might not come in this life, but it will come. Believe me, it will come. But maybe it's a different kind of a thing. Maybe there's just a promise that you really believe God has spoken to you. You believe that in in time past, that God spoke a certain thing to you, but it just seems like it was so long ago. And it just seems like it's never gonna happen. And the circumstances that you, you see around you just seem to be shouting at you that, you know what, don't keep waiting for this. Don't trust in this. God never said that to you. You know, you, you just need to forget that or you need to launch out on your own and you need to do your own thing because, you know, that's never gonna come true. That's never gonna happen. Don't give up on that promise. If you are convinced or at least you were convinced at one time that God really gave you that promise, hold on to it. I can think of many times in my life where, you know, I had been desperate and I had been seeking God and waiting on him and longing for, you know, him to give me a word, a promise, and he would do that. I can think of a few times where the promise was so specific and it was so powerful and it was so timely that I, I wrote it in the margin of my Bible. I, I highlighted the promise. It was oftentimes a scripture. I highlighted it and I wrote right next to it, promise for me, and I put a date. And then I would go back to that, you know, in times of discouragement, and I would look at it. And I'll tell you, I have promises that, that would go back 10, 15, 20 years. And of course, after 10, 15, 20 years, you're looking at it going, did I really, how, how did I ever think that God spoke that to me? You know, because all of the emotion that was initially there, that's all dried up a long time ago, and all the excitement that, man, God spoke to me and he's saying this, that's kind of long gone, and now you're just looking at the bare text going, what? What was I thinking? Why did I think God was speaking that to me? There, you know, nothing's happening here, and I don't feel it anymore, but you know what I would do whenever I would come to that place? I would just take a journey backward. <laughs> I would just go, okay, here I am today. How did I get to where I'm at What was the process? How did God work along the way? I just walked myself back in history and then start making my way forward and I would arrive right back where I was and I'd say, okay, I'm trusting God. Because all the way along the journey, God said and he did. He said and he did. He said and he did. He said and he hasn't done. But since he said and he did, said and he did, said and he did, he said and I believe that he's gonna do even though it's taking longer than I thought. Have you ever noticed that God never, ever does anything in the time frame that you want him to? (laughs) Have you noticed that? It's true. It is, I, I don't know of any time in my life that God has cooperated with my scheduling. It's just never works that way. And what happens is because he doesn't work within our time frame, we get discouraged. And we think, well, either I didn't hear him or, you know, maybe he's never spoken. 
Uh, but no, just remember, God has a time, and his time is perfect. I, I always have liked the quote I heard years ago from uh, the missionary Amy Carmichael. She said, God is seldom early, but never late. Seldom early, but never late. The fact of the matter is, God is always on time. We're the ones that are out of sync with the timing thing. So, listen. He is a rewarder. Don't give up. The reward will come. And as you await the final reward, I mean, obviously there's the big picture final reward that we're all going to inherit when we go to be with the Lord. But as you even await the reward that will come in this life, Know that God is faithful. He will give you little brief seasons rewarding you with just a sense of his presence or just a sense of assurance that he did indeed speak those things to you. But let me close with this one last word. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We need to be diligent in our quest for God and the things of God. We can't, you know, we can slack off about a lot of things in life, but this is one thing you cannot slack be a slackered in. There, there's got to be diligence in our lives. There has to be consistency because God rewards those who diligently seek him. And so we keep pressing in. We keep growing. You know, we, we go through seasons, though, don't we? We go through times where we're, we're engaged and we're, uh, we're devoted and we're, um, you know, there, there's that diligence there. And then that, that kind of dies off a little bit and we sort of back off and we get distracted and we, all these other things going on. You know, that happens. But when it happens, just stop and say, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I, I gotta get, no, I gotta get the priorities right again. I gotta get back. We can always come back. You know, there's that idea of, um, you know, you, as you recalibrate, you know, with certain kinds of mechanisms and so forth. You know, they're calibrated and they function at a, in a certain way for a certain period of time, but then they, they, uh, they, they get off. And so you have to go back and they call it recalibration. You have to go back and recalibrate. You have to go back and set it to where it's supposed to be. You know, we need to do that in our lives. We need to recalibrate. Don't get ripped off thinking that because you've um, lost your focus or you've fallen off in your devotion or you're, you know, you're not as diligent as you once were, don't get ripped off into thinking that that's just it and God's mad at you and no sense and he doesn't, you know, he's not going to bring you back and you're just going to drift further and further. Forget that. That's not true. God is always ready to recalibrate us. Hey, let's get it fine-tuned again. Let's get it dialed in. Let's get, let's get things set back to where they're supposed to be, diligently seeking him. Those are the ones that please God, the ones that believe that he is, and the ones who diligently seek him. And that's the history that was behind them, and now We've got all of that other history. We can see uh, that God has been faithful in every generation to do that for those who put their trust in him. So let's be like that. Lord, help us, we pray, to be men and women of faith 
those who believe not simply that you exist, but those who believe that you are alive and well and active and working to bring about your eternal purposes. Lord, help us to be those who believe that and help us to be those, Lord, who seek you, seek you diligently in these days, these critical days, these crazy days. Lord, help us to not be caught up in things that are of no value in light of eternity, but help us, Lord, to have our hearts set on you and help us, Lord, to diligently seek you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.